Well, so far in this series on the Psalms, we have posed a few questions to you. One question is, why are we here? Another question is, what do you seek? And today we will address a question, where are we going? In the title of this psalm, we see a musical term that's used. It is the word getit, getit. No one knows what it really means. They simply say it's some kind of musical term. It has something to do with the wine press. It also has something to do with plucking the strings of a harp. So for our purposes today, I want you to think of getit as having something to do with the way that this sermon is going to poke and press and pluck your heart. And God willing, the Spirit will do that work for us. Some of you had some tough decisions to make this morning. Sleep in, go out for brunch, play soccer or baseball, get caught up on yard work, pick up an extra shift, go fishing, make a Costco run, go to church, go to church online or in person. Decisions, decisions. And for some of us, those decisions are harder to make than they are for others. And some of those decisions are harder to make than others. And there are many reasons for this. Some good reasons, some not so good reasons. Some legitimate, some not legitimate. But at the top of the list, I think you would find that one reason we struggle with these sorts of decisions is due to a lack of spiritual imagination and a loss of transcendent vision. This is not about a lack of faith, nor is it about a lack of love, per se. It is a lack of spiritual imagination and the loss of transcendent vision. And I want to explain what I mean and show you what I mean with a simple thought experiment. When you go to church or just think about going to church, where do you think you're going? What do you imagine will happen? What do you envision taking place? Most people think along the lines of what Charles Taylor called the imminent frame. The imminent frame. He says this in his book, The Secular Age. The imminent frame is the here and the now only. It is the natural, material, and physical only. It is the horizontal plane exclusively. So most churchgoers assume that they are merely getting in the car, going to a designated location across town to gather with people more or less like themselves, to see a few friends, sing some songs, hear a sermon, take communion, and go out to lunch. And that, for them, is the Lord's Day. That one hour is the Lord's Day. Most of us are trapped in the imminent frame. Now, that's not a compelling description of what actually goes on in Christ's church, but that is the way most people imagine going to church. And as a pastor, I can tell you, it's no wonder 
that so many people would rather do anything else. Christianity Today reports that before the pandemic, 75% of Americans reported attending religious services at least once a month. By spring of 22, that figure had dropped to 68% of people reporting that they attend a religious service at least once a month. Studies conducted over the last several years show that regular church attendance among professing Christians is slowly but steadily declining across all ages. But the most alarming decline is seen in people who are under the age of 30. A Gallup poll shows that in the four years before the pandemic, an average of 34% of U.S. adults said they had attended church, synagogue, mosque, or temple in the past seven days. From 2020 to the present, the average has been 30%. And you can tell the difference in those two studies. One is simply asking, do you go to church once a month? 75% of people say yes. Do you go to church every week? 34, 30% say yes. Now again, there are many reasons for this kind of thing. Some reasons better than others, some more legitimate than others. I'm not talking about exceptions to the rule. I'm talking about the rule. And when we establish the rule, what we see when we dig a little deeper into the lives of people are two things at work among us. A lack of spiritual imagination and a loss of transcendent vision. We don't know why we are here. We don't know who or what to seek. We don't know where we're going. And for that reason, all around us, we see in this community, and we see in other parts of the state and the nation, that some churches have decided to put on a big show or resort to cringy at-the-movies gimmicks or turn their sanctuaries into darkened wannabe clubs. Why? They're scrambling around to make something happen. They're scrambling around to make something happen in the flesh because in some ways they have lost touch with the Spirit. The glory has departed, but the show must go on. But like some of you, the psalmist just wanted to go to church. Not a concert, not an event, not the movies. He just wanted to go to church. And he tells us why. He felt a deep desire in his heart and an ache in his flesh to meet God face to face. He was consumed with passion to stand in the sacred places of the Lord in the spiritual presence of God, body and soul. He saw the courts, the altar, and the temple as signposts, not as stop signs. He saw them as directions, not destinations, as temporal signs that signify eternal realities, as imminent means to eternal transcendent end. 
In other words, the psalmist wants to go to church for more than seeing a few friends or singing some psalms or hearing a sermon or taking communion. He wants all of that, but more. He wanted to go to the courts and the altar of the temple of the Lord because he saw the world sacramentally. He believed that there is more going on than meets the eyes. That things visible point to invisible things. He wanted to go to the courts and the altar in the temple to be transported by the Spirit into heaven to appear before the Lord with angels and archangels and all the host of heaven. He wanted to appear before the Lord with the saints, ancient, present, and future. He wanted to go to the courts of the Lord, the altar, and the temple to worship God, to be transformed from strength to strength and from one degree of glory to another. He wanted to go to the courts and the altar and the temple because his body and his soul were consumed with desire to stand in sacred places, to be in the presence of the Lord. He wanted to go to the courts, the altar, and the temple because His spiritual imagination and transcendent vision had enabled him to see past the brick and the mortar, beyond the veil, through the darkness, into the cloud, all the way to the other side. He wanted to go to the courts and the altar and the temple because he wanted to pass through the valley of weeping and climb the mountain of happiness. He wanted to pass through the wasteland of cursing and reach the homeland of blessing. He wanted his exile in the world to end so that he could enter the new heaven and new earth and finally be at home with the Lord. Why was the psalmist so passionate about these things? Why did he pray the way he did? Why did he long and yearn and ache in his body and soul for these things? It's because his spiritual imagination and transcendent vision were shaped by the Spirit of God and stirred by the Spirit of God. This is what gave him these truly compelling reasons to get out of bed. To set aside his yard work, to risk getting benched, to forego brunch, to make his Costco run another day. This gave him truly compelling reasons to long for the sacred places and yearn for the spiritual presence of the Lord. This is why he's making every effort to zealously and joyfully gather with the church to get caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day. What else could explain why he confesses to God and to man the things he confesses? When he says, I would rather stand at the threshold in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For one day in your courts is better than a thousand days anywhere else. Spiritual imagination, transcendent vision compelled him to make this confession. 
because he saw the unseen. He could see what was happening all around him when other people only saw pews and pulpits and tables and other people. He longed to be in the courts, the altar, and the temple of the Lord. Now, not all of us feel the way he felt. We would like to. In our better moments, we say, we believe, help our unbelief. We have difficulty arriving at this same level of conviction and confession. We have difficulty conceiving of the things that the psalmist could see. But I want to assure you that by grace through faith, it can be granted to us as well. God is not trying to keep us in the dark. He's inviting us into the light. He's not trying to keep us blind to the unseen things, but to open our eyes to them. And this is what the psalmist is helping us do. Oh, that God would grant us the same depth of passion and perspective that the psalmist had. So I ask you again, when you go to church, where are you going? Where are you really and truly going? To help us cultivate the kind of spiritual imagination and transcendent vision that we see in the psalmist, I want to show you something. I want to show you that going to church does have something to do with courts and altars and temples and that going to church does have something to do with songs and preaching and communion. It's all of that, but it's so much more. When we go to church, we are being caught up in the spirit and transported to heavenly places. And it is there in spirit and in truth that we get to participate in the divine liturgy that goes on continually and ceaselessly, world without end. We know these things because the Spirit of Christ reveals them to us in the Scriptures. And we see this clearly in the book of Revelation where a glimpse of heaven and the divine liturgy and the gathering of angels and saints is portrayed for us. And it begins like this. A door in the sky was standing open. And we hear a voice from heaven inviting us to come up. To come further up and further in. And since we cannot ascend to heaven on our own, the Spirit carries us up through the door, into the courts, up to the altar, into the temple. And it is there that we discover that all of these things are signs of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit and the Word of God reveal to us that Jesus is the door of the temple, that He is the cornerstone and the foundation of the temple. That he is the cross upon which, that the cross upon which he was crucified for the sins of the world stands in the temple. And that his body is the temple that was once destroyed and scarred and rebuilt in three days. So on the Lord's day, the Spirit carries us by Christ and through Christ, to Christ, for Christ, so that we may worship God the Father in spirit and in truth. And what do we see when we arrive in this place? 
We see that he shines like light through a stained glass window with all its radiance and brilliance refracting through precious translucent stones of red, orange, and green. We see a rainbow encircling his throne, not as a sign of pride, but as a sign of humility, that this weapon of mass destruction now hangs in the sky, retired, no longer to be used, a sign of God's covenant with creation, that his promise remains in force and will never be broken. We see a beautiful and terrible storm of glory raging around the throne, lightning flashing in the clouds, thunder roaring in the cosmos. And in the center of this massive whirlwind, we see a throne. And terrifying living creatures, fierce angels and archangels and all the host of heaven encircling that throne. We see the holy prophets and apostles, the elders and the saints, ancient, present, and future, all gathered in the courts, around the altar, in the temple, before the throne. And we see the souls of the white-robed army of martyrs, sacrificed for the faith of Jesus Christ, crying out for justice under the altar. And all the angels and creatures singing, Holy, 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 men, women, and children, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, raising their voices to worship and praise the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And when they can stand it no more, they offer the last bit of whatever is left of their glory and honor, and they fall down, uncrowned, before the one who is seated on the throne. And in the midst of it all stands the God-man, bearing the scars of his passion and crucifixion in his resurrected and glorified body. And it is when Christ our Savior appears on the scene, when he takes his place in the midst of the throne, in the center of all reality, it is then that all the living creatures, the apostles and prophets, the martyrs and the saints in heaven, and all the angelic host erupt in rhapsodic and euphoric and sonic praise. A chorus of myriads of thousands upon thousands of angels join them in singing the new song. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy are you to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Because you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, and every language, and every people, and every nation. This is what we're brought into. So I ask you again, when you go to church on the Lord's Day, Where are you truly and really going? This is where you're going. And this is what you're doing in spirit and truth on the Lord's day. But I must warn you that contrary to popular belief, worship is a dangerous affair. It is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the cavalier. It is not for the flippant and the casual. 
If you dare to go to church and draw near to God, you must do so on his terms, according to his word and by his spirit. And you don't have to take my word for it. I simply point you to the example of Nadab and Abihu, two priests who rushed in to offer worship on their own terms, in their own way, and found themselves struck down by the holy fire of God. I point you to King Uzziah, who decided that though he was not a priest, he would burn incense before the Lord. And he rushed into the temple to do so, to worship in his own way, on his own terms. And he was struck with leprosy for the remainder of his life. Worship is a dangerous affair. It is not for the cavalier and the faint of heart. If we long for the sacred places and faint for the spiritual presence of the Lord, we must come before him humbly, seeking his mercy, not arrogantly, as if we have every right to be there on our own. We must come, as the psalmist teaches us, by praying. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows grace and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Why does the psalmist pray this way when he's been longing and yearning to enter the courts and the altar and the temple of the Lord? Because he understands the danger of drawing near to God in and of himself on his own terms. And so what does he do? He does what we ought to do when we draw near to God. And that is to come pleading the blood of the Lamb. To come pointing to Jesus, our Savior. As we draw near to God, we say, don't look at us. Look at him. We ask the Father to take notice that Jesus is our advocate who comforts us and defends us. That Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins that shields us and shelters us from God's wrath. That Jesus is the Holy One who gives us the right to draw near and to stand in those sacred places in the spiritual presence of God. Behold our shield, O God. Look, On the face of your anointed. And when the father gazes at the face of his beloved son. In whom he is well pleased. He bestows grace and glory upon us. Because he sees the face of his son reflected in us. And when he sees the face of his son reflected in us. He is as well pleased with us as he is with his son, Jesus. When the father sees that we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, he forgives our sins. The blood of Christ cleanses us and the father withholds no good thing from us because he loves us as he loves his son, Jesus. 
and he welcomes us because he has seen the shield and he bestows grace and honor on us because we walk uprightly in the Lord Jesus Christ. What the psalmist asked and prayed for and what we are asking and praying for is not fantasy. It's not wishful, cross-fingered, finger-crossed thinking. It's a deep and abiding, hopeful expectation that the promises of God will be fulfilled in his son, Jesus Christ, for our sake. As the Spirit says, those who go through the valley of weeping shall make it to a place of springs. When John saw this gathered host of people around the throne in heaven, dressed in white, he said, who are these people? Where did they come from? Why are they here? When he saw you and me in that crowd, and the answer came back, these are the ones who have come through the valley of weeping. They are before the throne of God and they serve him night and day in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. He'll spread his tent over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Why? Why? Because the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide those coming through the valley of weeping all the way to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Where are we going? Where are we going? To the courts, the altar, the temple. Where are we going? We're going all the way to the face of the true and living God. The psalm ends with a blessing. Blessed, O Lord, are those who trust in you. This beatific vision that is promised to us is promised to us who trust in the Lord. It is for the ones who trust in the Lord God Almighty. If you want to go where the Lord is calling you to go, it's going to take faith. If you want to see what the Lord wishes to show you, it takes faith. Where are we going?
Let's wait and see. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God of earth and altar, bow down and hear our cry. Our earthly rulers falter, our people drift and die. The walls of gold entomb us, the swords of scorn divide. Take not thy thunder from us, but take away our pride. From all that terror teaches, from lies of tongue and pen, from all the easy speeches that comfort cruel men, from sale and profanation of honor and the sword, from sleep and from damnation, deliver us, good Lord. Tie in a living tether the prince and priest and thrall, bind all our lives together, smite us and save us all. In ire and exultation, aflame with faith and free, lift up a living nation, a single sword to thee. These things we ask and pray in the name of Christ our Lord.